Welcome inside the coach's room. Every week we talk to elite coaches and backroom staff about their experiences, how they develop and how they develop their players. Where's this learning bit then? Who's, who's validating the learning? A manager's come in and go, Steve, we've bloody lost 3-0 again. I've coached them that. We did that on Friday and I've gone, well, we did, but they obviously haven't learned anything, have they? Doing set pieces on a Friday for 10 minutes, expecting them to suddenly magic up that behavioural change, that's just bizarre, isn't it? We're just going to do set pieces at 12 o'clock on a Friday and then magic that up on a Saturday, like, what? this episode, we talk to Steve Sellers. Steve is an elite development mentor in professional football education and business. He wrote a book called Educating Football, and he's the founder of The Solution Mindset. So get a pen and paper, because Steve will share a lot of nuggets. During the recording, we noticed that there were a lot of echo sounds. We couldn't really get it out, so I hope doesn't disturb you too much. Enjoy this episode with Steve Sellers. Hello, good morning. How you doing, man? I'm well, but what are you wearing? By the way, I didn't can see it. What is the what is what jacket is? Scott, just my business, mate. Just ah. solutions mindset. Yeah. What is solutions mindset? Because a mindset that, that everybody knows. I heard, I heard about growth mindset. What is solutions mindset? The truth is, when I was a vice principal of a school in London, I was so fed up with people coming to my office with problems that on a big white A1 sheet of paper, I put, please come to my office with solutions, dot, dot, dot. That's not just to the teachers, dot, dot, dot. That's the kids as well, smiley face. Okay. So quite straightforward when, yeah, I was just so fed up with, with problems, you know, we meet those people that put a problem in the way of a solution, right? So when you're working in a London schools, and as your listeners probably aren't aware, I worked in four failing London comprehensives, you certainly can't be problem focused. So um, the business derived and the name came about, honestly, just from what I was already living in schools, mate. Okay, so like... Before you come here, maybe try to figure it out yourself first before you knock on my door and please hand me the solution. Yeah, I just think my work's very strategic. When when I was a PE teacher, and I think I relate this to football, right? We, we're very operational. We'll get jobs done. We're good on the grass. We can plan good sessions. But most people I've met in football are in. They're not strategic. They wouldn't know what strategy was if they hit him on the head. So I'm not saying I'm better than anyone in the football industry. I never have, but I think my experiences are just significantly different. You know, working in business, you know, schools, schools that I worked in has got a 15 million pound turnover. So we've got 250 teachers. We've got over 2,000 pupils. So if you're not strategic as a school leader in those processes, you are doomed. And all I've done, mate, is picked up school strategy and and put it straight into pro football. Yeah. Then, okay, you need to be strategic. What is, in your opinion, being strategic? Let's say in a school, but no, no, let's move it to football straight away. What is, in your opinion, then being strategic as a football coach or maybe as a club? You know, let's, let's apply it to my individual work. Obviously, I've worked with with the England setup. 
um, I've worked with, you know, I'm well, I now have privilege. Yeah. But I now have Premier League players as clients. But I suppose working with someone like Eze at Crystal Palace is 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 probably my clearest journey because I've I've seen him since he was twelve years old, right? And I now work backwards, and I, I'm saying this in my new book. When you are strategic and you have success at that, you don't work forwards; you work backwards. I think for young coaches, the difficulty that they have is that they haven't got the bank of success. Not necessarily that I've got, but any any successful leader, educator, or coach has got. So um, I don't know if any of your people on the podcast have talked about working backwards, but it's huge because I know where to go now. You know, I know, I know, I know what it looks like. Is it like uh, Stephen Covey started with the end in mind? Is that the yeah, same? I've never heard of that actually. Yeah, I've never heard of that. I've never heard of the Stephen Covey's. Yeah, but I'm assuming it is. It's it's just well known when you when you go from schools and you're successful in schools. And you know what the end part looks like. You just you almost plot your way. All I've done is pick that up, and, and if we apply it to strategy at not necessarily board level, but you know, obviously I'm an advisor in professional football these days. I'm I'm just seeing loads of gaps in people's strategy. Now let's apply that so people can smell that and, and eat it for breakfast. Strategy is just thinking of what's going to happen in six weeks and six months rather than six days and six hours. Like, let's just make sure we're seeing the long game. Now, that's what makes, you know, I call it prove or improve in my book. Now, people are obsessed with proving, right? Got to get a win on a Saturday. Got to get a result. Like, no, 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 no. Let's just focus on process, right? And be obsessed with process-driven work. But the problem is, Aaron, if I say to people, what does process mean? Not in a rude way. A lot of people don't even know what that means. Yeah. I agree. The, pl- the players, the players hear process on interviews all the time. I have to teach players what process means. Okay, so let me try to summarize it, or let's, like you said, it like they can eat it for breakfast. <laughs> um, uh, strategy. I'm not thinking. We have listeners in all kinds of layers. We have professional coaches, but youth coach, whatever. Um, as a club director or a board member, whatever, you need to have a long-term strategy in all parts. But if you maybe, well, if we if we, if we we narrow it down to the football coach, you have a team in front of you, let's say they're 13, 14-year-olds, then your strategy, your range of influence is that year, that year after they go probably to a next coach, which means in your strategy, you probably have to discuss with the coaches that are in the next year, okay, what do you expect of your players when they come to your team? Uh, which means you, as a coach, have to prepare them for the next steps. And that you can probably get into year goals, which you can uh, divide into quarterly, whatever, how you divide, I don't, I don't care. Yeah. But tone me down to little, but have a bigger picture. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, listen, four corners, right? Tech, tack, fizz, and psych. So there's your first strategy. But the measurement of learning, um, looking at self-assessment, looking at peer assessment, looking at coach assessment, looking at written feedback, looking at oral feedback, looking at parent assessment, looking, you know, bringing in, bringing in all of the stakeholders in the process for youth development, looking at the clarity and alignment of, of in-possession and out-of-possession. And, of course, that's quite standard, But just making sure, you know, we're looking at well-being, looking at behavior, looking at, you know, genuinely holistic processes to to player development, looking at elite, elite behaviors. I said um, I work for the Scottish Football Association 
supporting them, you know, from the pro license down to the C license. And I, and I said last night, if if your best player is a difficult person, then they're not your best player. So is there rewards and sanctions policies? And not in a rude way, RN, if you go to a football club and they wouldn't even know what a rewards and sanctions policy is, like, that just wouldn't happen. So ensuring that the process of behavioural psychology, learning psychology, is is just cleaner. It's, you know, and that's why I compare football to school. Schools are miles ahead, mate, miles ahead. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm still trying to digest this a little bit because I'm also trying to, to find out a little bit how, about your role and uh, because I wrote down who Steve Sellers and Okay, I've I've read about you or heard about you that your dad was a plumber, you've been a player, blah 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 blah. So people can go to all those other podcasts and hear about that story. Uh, but now I was thinking, yeah, uh, because like in well, we're eight minutes in. I think you've thrown out, let's say, forty elements that people can improve. So then I was thinking, who is Steve Sellers when he opens the door at such a football club? You know, let's say all those elements uh, on where a football club can strategically or in his or in, in the process can improve. What can a coach learn from this? And maybe is the best thing, which of all those elements should you even start with? Where should you? I've got, it's a brilliant question. Also, also because of you, because you have opened those doors a hundred times. You come in and there must be something that you kind of see everywhere. Yeah, 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 yeah. And listen, it's, it, your question, well done to you, because that's the most well thought out question anyone's ever asked me, because you've heard my other work, and now you're saying, look, what is that? So well done. Um, I'm very, very, I, I look at trends, okay, repetitive things. I'm never going in and looking at a one-off. Bad result, bad performance, don't care. Two bad results, two bad performances, don't care. Bad day at work, don't care. But we, I'm looking at trends, repetitive behaviors. Our end. I would genuinely say 80 to 90% of football coaches or managers genuinely don't listen. Right, and I'm shrugging my shoulders going like, wow. I do high-performance conferences, as you know, around the world these days. And I ask people what their 10 components of high-performance are Either, either, either individually as a leader or as a team. So two very different questions, high-performing team or high-performing leader. I ask them to write 10 words down. I then ask them to cut five words out and keep five. I then ask them to say one, two, three, four, and five, most important to least important. So all high-water thinking, no right, no wrong, your lens. When I say the word lens, our end today, it means how we see the world, right? And everyone sees the world differently. So my work is aligning 30 players' lenses and coaches and making sure we've got an arrow exactly where we're going. But often coaches, because they don't listen, will only see their own lens, right? Because they're a thing like called an ego gets in the way, right? <laughs> so so when I do this question, 1% of people will say listening. Two ears, one mouth. So the first thing I will do when I walk through the door, going back to your original question, is listen. And listen as best as I can to truly align what is said and what is heard. 
Now, I'm going to get even more complicated now. Because sometimes people describe things, coaches, people at work, in your family, and they don't actually say what they truly mean, which is then linked to literacy. Because if people haven't got high literacy skills, so just for your listeners, literacy comes under five balance, speaking, listening, reading, writing, and communication. And what is said, therefore, and what is heard I am making sure that the coaches are telling me exactly what they actually mean rather than, listen to this, what I think they mean and then creating my own cognitive bias about what is said. Because, Aaron, if I'm not truly, truly aligned and truly accurate with my methods, everything is going to fail anyway. Okay, very clear. I have been in a coach's room myself. Well, I was a semi-professional coach. I've... I think I've repeated this a hundred times so everybody that's listening knows this, but it is a pitfall, like you said, to step into a room. Well, it's all, maybe I can, maybe I can compare it to this. If you shake somebody's hand and you introduce yourself, most of the people forgot the other one's name because they're too busy by presenting themselves. I think this is exactly what you're saying as well. You're very busy being a coach, which is, there's no bad intention there, I think. There, I don't think that's what you're saying either. You almost forget to, to take in the feedback or you forget after a while you should. But in the beginning, you're too busy maybe with yourself. You're busy with the dressing. How do they interpret me? Blah, 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 blah. That you forget to listen. Is that what you're saying? And then that's a beginner's coach. But in the long run, you should be more open or is it more ego that you're saying? Listen. The reason I'm smiling, because this all goes back to two words, and the whole of my business is around two words, and, and that's self-awareness. So if we walk into that changing room and we're more self-aware, we're more self-aware that we might forget someone's name, we're more self-aware that we might need to make sure we make eye contact and try and remember their name. I'm not saying I'm going in remembering everyone's names, because my, my, my way of remembering names is terrible. I always try to associate someone's you know, name with a famous person. So, so common sense approach, mate. I'm not, you know, I'm not some rocket scientist, but if we're not self-aware to know I've got to go into work for the next six weeks and really listen well, then not in a funny way. We're not elite. And, and Arendt, I have to say this, the majority of football is not elite. It thinks it is. It thinks it is, but it's not. Yeah. And I, and I say that with confidence because I'm living it. This is some resistance. Do you see a big difference in education there? Do you think teachers are more capable of, well, of listening and, and well, maybe it's connecting with, with their students compared to football coaches or coaches yeah. in general? I don't know. There's a, there's a, there's a softness. Um, I've worked with, I'm just going to, sidetracked side slightly a lot of men I've worked with uh, RNs have never ever worked with a woman right they've never worked with girls now I'm sure you're going to have loads of people that are your listeners that are girls coaches now I've taught girls and anyone that's taught girls you're like a different human being when you're coaching right and I also say that very confidently um, and, and I think my super strength RNs is I've just got different experiences I don't think I'm better than anyone I don't think I'm more intelligent than anyone but my experiences are very different to the average football coach, particularly in the UK. I'm not here 
by the way, to judge anyone um, outside of the UK because I don't know anything about that because I've never lived there or, or never experienced it. So just so the listeners are clear, I'm only given my experiences of UK, right? So that's also what I'm asking. I'm asking you to judge based upon your experiences. <laughs> yeah, of course. But it's important to know that I align this with your listeners that I'm not saying the whole of football. I'm saying the football in the UK is is not elite. And 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 there are people out there, by the way, that are elite. But when I mean strategic, I mean everyone being elite. I, I have to share this story with you because this is a very powerful story. Right? So in England, in the 80s and 90s, Managers were not around Monday to Thursday at a lot of clubs. And they would turn up on a Friday, yeah, at the training ground, and all the players would see the manager walk over, and all the players would try harder because the gaffers hit, yeah? And they'd all run harder to try and get picked on a Saturday, right? Can you imagine, in a school, the only person that can influence you trying harder, yeah, was the head teacher. It would be chaos. So therefore, the middle managers, the, the, the soldiers on ground level, the senior leaders, why is it that football has this unicorn leader, you're the only person that can influence behaviour, you're the only person that can, can show, um, can show I, don't, I suppose, strength and, and fear, or whatever that, that word is. I don't even know what the word is. In a school, you'd be doomed. So my point is, why isn't it when the assistant manager walks over or when this head of medical walks over that the players go, oh, my God, yeah, senior member of staff, I'm going to run around, I'm going to try harder. So I'm, I'm only saying this as a question to everyone. I find those sorts of things quite strange. It's only the manager that can influence the behaviour of players at, at that level. find that very... It gives me thinking because... Um, part of the process, part of this situation or, or I don't know, trend, whatever you want to call it, is that probably the gaffer makes a decision who plays. At least that's the way it's perceived. And probably, sure, they will have a meeting in the dress, in the dressing, blah, blah, and they will talk it over. But the head coach is the one that announces it to the player. So that strikes, uh, purpose, purposely or impurposely in effect whether it's fear or whatever. But that's kind of the way it is now. So how would you solve it then to make maybe that's to make those those staff, the people in the staff more equal, that you don't have to have the gaffer around? How would you solve that? Loads of ways. Um, have you heard of flat hierarchies? Sure. So flat hierarchies is a business model where where there's this flatter, there isn't the CEO, there isn't the COO, the CFO, there is there's a flatter hierarchy in, and I would I would ensure that the players are very clear that yes, we're the backroom staff, but we are the leadership team. And when I say in my book about we not me, Arend, I'm getting a little bit fed up at the moment with managers on interviews, on television, on Sky Sports saying, I'm really proud of my team. On our end, they ain't your team. Wouldn't it be brilliant if every manager said, I'm really proud of our team, our players? And that goes back to self-awareness, because if you're ego-driven, you, you won't want to learn these things. 
You won't, I'll call it zooming in and zooming out. You won't zoom out. Some head teachers, our end, will go, I'm really proud of my community. And I'm like, they're not your community. They're our community. So I'm not just saying it's just football managers. There's leaders all across the world that are getting this wrong with this simple word of my or our. So anyone, Aaron, that's a metaphor for how they think, right? Because success and failure gives us clues. So we would easily be able to educate the players and the staff around who the cultural architects are. We're all cultural architects, but there is still a leadership group. And if you speak to any member of staff, because some players, by the way, won't speak to the manager like they speak to, um, and I mean if they're being rude, they will be rude to a medical department or rude to a physio, but they won't be rude to the first team manager. And I'm walking in there and I'm saying to players, you ain't talking to me like that. Don't think I'm, you know, and I'm not, I'm not saying that in a, in a draconian way. I'm a very kind man, but players still need to be told, like, you're not talking to me like that. But a lot of the medical team RNs haven't got the confidence because the managers don't give them the confidence. So if any player is rude to you in this building, right, you let me know and they're going to get the same sanction as they would if they spoke to me like that. Yeah, completely agree. Thinking about how I did that, literally, like you said, not judging, you're giving me a mirror. So looking back at my uh, role as a head coach, and I knew... I knew from experience that, well, we have all been there as coaches that you split a group group into three small groups. You have an assistant coach, the goalkeeper coach with one group and yourself. And the, the player, the, um, maybe you have a circuit training or whatever. I, I was dealing with adults, but um, the players feel and know which coach gives you the most space, which coach gives you less discipline, whatever. What I tried to do at least was from training number one, uh, the first training in the season, everybody got their own moment in the first training to lead. So they would try to, at least I tried, that they would see there's not only one guy in charge. This is a team that is performing. But that was my way of, of dealing with this. But the, I think the hardest thing there is to, one is ego, so let go of your leadership position and trust it to other ones. And the other ones is also, you're the head coach for a reason. Probably you have more leadership qualities than your assistant. Otherwise, it would be the other way around. No, aren't. No. Why not? But, well, hold on. Then, then, <laughs> go on, go on. Yeah, but then it's also the, the hardest thing that I found, I, I tried, uh, is that it can fail and you accept it fails. <laughs> that's good yeah but that i'm not it's a, i'm not i'm definitely I, i've loved what you've said right i'm saying no as your friend right here we go no this is uh, this is healthy because this gives me love and nugget for your listeners everything that we say on this podcast is always professional never personal i walk into a building when i open that door i say to people at 7 30 in the morning everything i say to you between 7 30 at morning and 10 30 at night is always professional and never ever personal and I've got that in the bank with every single staff member and every single player because as much as I love everybody and hate nobody, I can change gear on people and I am sort of zero bullshit around what I want. Right? But I have to give also clarity on me as a human being. So when I've said no, no, no there, 
somebody could go, oh my God, Steve's just disagreed with Barra and that's really bad. I'm like, no, 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 this is healthy, right? This is like professional debate. But the reason I'm saying no, the manager would have more knowledge as a leader than the assistant, no chance. Like, that's just a myth. That's just, have you heard of the Peter Principle? Yeah, well, I was not saying uh, knowledge. I was saying leadership skills, because that's a different thing, I think. Yeah, but it's the same knowledge and leadership skills, skills and knowledge. You could split hairs on that one. But the, the Peter Principle is when you get promoted to a, to a stage where you're no longer good. So you keep getting promoted. Yeah, so the Peter Principle is is a principle where people keep getting promoted because they're competent, they're good. And eventually they get promoted to a level where they're incompetent. A bit like the UK government, right? They keep getting promoted and then they get promoted to where they're no longer very good. And I see managers all the time that are good assistants, good coaches, and they know our end. Let me make this very clear. This is the biggest gap in the football market right now. The biggest gap. So any manager, any coach, aspiring manager is listening. They need to listen to this sentence. They know loads about football. Their ability to coach, influence players on the grass is amazing, but they know nothing about leadership. And unless coaches start learning about servant leadership, flat hierarchies, Lencioni model, Bruce Tuckman, um, Carol Dweck, all of these things that I can recite, then no one is ever going to be able to truly lead strategically because they haven't got the knowledge or the skills to know what leadership actually is, Aaron. Okay, agree. Now I see in, um, let's say, well, if I make it very superficial, I see also based on your input, two types of coaches. Let's call them the dinosaurs and let's call them the laptop coaches, whatever you want to call them or okay. the, the younger ones. And the dinosaurs do it the way that they always, they always done it. Um, uh, and my opinion, it relates to your story of the, the, the gaffer coming in on Friday, shouting at some players and then this is it. And the younger ones, I think are more from, well, evidence-based, science-based, method-based, whatever that they are more into their, yeah, in these things that you mentioned, they are more aware that all these things are needed. But still, you have coaches that are lacked either the other. You want, uh, one person. If you're saying you are a coach already, what should you do for a while? And you're, you, you're based on your, if you just think, I, I really need to improve this. What should they improve and how should they do it? Because it's, like, it's also a little bit, you, it's hard for a person, for a human being to change its routine and to change the things that he's, do, that he's doing it, uh, how, how he's doing things. Where should he start or what should he do? It goes back to the self-awareness. I, keep, I, I, I always sound like I'm a broken record because if you're not, like if you did a, we call it a gap audit. So let's just give another metaphor. When you asked me 20 minutes ago when I walked through the door, When I say I listen very well, what I'm listening as well as I'm doing, I'm doing a gap audit, right? So I'm looking at all the super strengths of the business, football club, business, school, because I don't just work in football clubs. I'm looking at all of the you know areas for development, and I'm I'm aligning 
what's on the piece of paper in their current in their current sort of uh, documentation or their results or looking at outcomes and trying to piece together what the super strengths are of the business. But if we apply that to individuals, individuals have to do that on themselves. Now, the, where the problem is, I don't think individuals in the football industry are going to learn loads from hanging around in the football industry. So let me apply this. My master's degree, Arendt, was in educational psychology and leadership, right? And at the time, obviously, my degree was in physical education, so I was a PE teacher in, in London, and then I got promoted a few times and was a vice principal before I went to Millwall. Um, so the reason I'm sharing these experiences is when youngsters email me on LinkedIn and say, Steve, what would you recommend me do? Because obviously I get called sometimes I'm a sports psychologist in football, but I'm not. I haven't got a sports psychology degree or a master's degree, but I obviously have got uh, an MA in educational psychology. So we're splitting hairs really on some of the knowledge that goes across, right? I appreciate that. But I think you can have all the theory in the world, but the key to my superscripts is that I've lived working with dysfunctional young men and girls, schools, that really don't want to be there. And in a football club, every player generally wants to be there. And I did that for eight hours a day for 17 and a half years. And I'm having to manage myself, these people, gang culture, knife crime, 11-year-olds wearing stab vests under their school uniform, parents that are disengaged, grandparents that are disengaged, and now I've picked up these skills and now put them into a football changer room, which is exactly the same as any football change room I've ever been to. They're just a bit better at football, but the same people are in these changer rooms. I said to a manager this weekend, treat that player like he's a five-year-old boy. Not into to patronise him, but see him as your son. See him as a boy in need. Because if we don't sometimes remember how we need to manage people, then we're doomed. So going back to your question, what do people need to do? They need to look at themselves, you know, as I say, look in the mirror, not out of the window, right? And look in the mirror and say, look, what are my super scrimps? And what are my areas of development? And what am I going to go and do about that? And that doesn't mean go to another training ground. Go and get in a school. And go and get in a deprived school and go and teach in a day and see what it's like. Yeah. I agree. Uh, maybe I want to add something to that. Um, I completely agree. But I also think a lot of coaches are in that specific dressing room for themselves and the players are just the instrument to whatever, go to the next level or whatever. And that's something that also, because you said, okay, look like, look at the player as if it is your child or whatever. Genuinely care. You can only genuinely care if you're selfless uh, instead of using it for your own good or your own goal or whatever. And I think it's very interesting to, I'm not saying you shouldn't have goals because you should. And I, it's very normal and very good that you want to be better and you want to go higher but it's also really being aware and never push that first i think 
uh, Ariel Jacobs in a previous podcast said it's never about you, never about the coach. I've been completely honest about this. When I was coaching, it was about me. I wanted to go up. I wanted to go to the next league. I wish I had this podcast 10 years before because then I <laughs> completely, but I, I, I wanted to win the players also. And I wanted the team to win. I wanted the club to win. I didn't do, I didn't do a bad job, but still my ego was also there always on my shoulder. And I think a lot of coaches have that. It takes some time to, to realize this. Oh, it's so refreshing. And I'm laughing because I've been there, right? And, um, People say to me, why are you not a manager? Why are you not a manager? I go, I don't really want to be one. I'm probably the perfect assistant manager because I, I, I've I, been a vice principal and um, sometimes leadership at the top RNs can be very, very lonely. CEOs, head teachers, football managers. Football managers call me um, and I'm mental managers in the professional game, as people know. And they call me just to speak to me one-to-one about getting things off their chest, about being lonely. And and when I, you know, I'm a very, very strong personality, but I, I also have the ability to really be generous and loving and caring. And and that's because I have worked with so many children in need. And and I think when, when I'm, 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 I'm going to try and help out the young coaches here right, that are listening, that are in their 20s, uh, mid-20s, and... And my advice to all of them is the same advice that my first head of PE gave to me when I was 22. I was getting really frustrated with having to cover everyone's lessons. And all of the PE department kept having babies, which means they kept having off. And instead of having 30 kids, I had 60 kids and 90 kids. Right? And I really mean this. This isn't a joke. I had 90 kids in a sports hall, right? On my own. Right? Three or four times a day. And I went to my boss and I said, look, I'm getting a bit pissed off. And he was very wise. Right? He was very wise. He didn't undermine me. He didn't belittle me. He said to me, Steve, please, 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 I need you right now. I've got loads of teachers in their late 20s, all having children. We had 15 teachers in that P department, by the way. It's a big school, right? Biggest school in London. And so I need you. And he, and he spoke to me in a way that my time will come. Anyway, you've heard my other podcast. I'm going to link this. I'm going to say this to the youngsters. Please, all of you, play the long game. Right? We're in Instagram world. Instant. Twitter. Instant. I'm a 45-year-old man. Aaron, it's taken me 25 years for you to pick up the phone and say to me, Hi, Steve. I'm Aaron. I've got a podcast. Do you want to be on it? 25 years. It's taken me 25 years to get to first-team football in England. It's taken me 25 years to do lots of things. And I'm not saying that's always... Yeah, what I'm saying is, my, my, some of my challenges are nine years ago, when I went into professional football, some people looked at me like I've got three heads. And now I've been on the High Performance Podcast, which has had 14 million downloads. And I'm saying this sarcastically. Apparently, I'm more intelligent now. But we all know that that's not the truth. So the reason I'm saying that is, youngsters, prove or improve. Please, all of you, have an obsession with improving. The proving will take care of itself. Right? The reason, the reason, you know, I'm a very passionate man. It hopefully comes across. But I've also got knowledge. 
you know, I'm a, like my books up there, like there's 50, 60, 70 books up there, which I read and I highlight and I read and I highlight and I apply it. Like it's not, it's not a fluke, is it? No, I agree. And, uh, well, I'm not the right one to judge because I haven't worked with too many young coaches that let's say, um, are, are running that game of, I want to move up the ladder and, and that came complaining to me because I haven't been in that position, but uh, in the previous podcast with Yope, guy from PSV said, "Yeah, then the interns come. You can you can listen to the to the quote or the story that he tells. He's there. He worked his ass off. He worked during the night to be a coach during the day for free. Uh, and then some of the interns came in and they wanted the professional job within two years. Uh, and that's exactly relates to your story that everybody wants to go way too fast." In this case, football is a game that's very dense with a lot of coaches and things can go very fast, but most of the time they're not. You just have to find your way. And if you're not the one, if you're not persistent, you're, yeah, it's not for you. Yeah. And, and let's, let's apply this to the football world. 70% of first-time managers in the UK don't get another job after they get sacked. 70%. Yes. So so what's the rush, everybody? I, I, you know, I'm mentoring now some high-end assistant managers in England, right? Two or three of them, I believe, will go to the very top, right? I really believe it. They have coaching, football. They have everything that they need as a coach. But I'm working on their leadership capacity. Because if they haven't got that, when they get there, the Peter principle will be applied. They won't be ready. Uh, they'll be incompetent. Yeah. And so I'm saying that because going back to the, the themes of self-awareness, your own gap audit, what are your super strengths? What do you know? Are you aware of what you don't know? And just being really honest with yourself. Like, for example, let me apply this. I don't know anything about strength and conditioning in our end. So when those conversations are going on, I just keep my mouth shut because I know nothing about it. So I think that, yeah, an expert hires an expert. So young coaches are ringing me up and saying, Steve, look, I want to go to the next level. Can you help me? I want to be technical director. or And I'm going, yeah. And, that, and, and they're saying to me, some of the UEFA courses are not meeting their needs. So, yeah, I'm I'm in a position because... The content that I have is stuff that I've lived. You won't, you won't, you won't read it in any book. It's stuff that I've lived, and I've just created a business. I mean, I've only been in business four years, so you know, and I've got some obviously pretty lucky to got some clients. But remember, I've got clients because I've improved myself to have a level of competence. I understand? So I'm obsessed with learning. Yeah, I'm obsessed with it. Yeah. Well. That I think I think it relates again to do the long run. You. It took you X amount of years to get here, uh, and now you're in the position to help. And sometimes it looks like, oh, if I read the same book or if I read your book, then I have the same level of knowledge, which is not the case. Um, there's something else that that I that struck me. There are two things. Uh, one is the difference between coaching uh, men and women, and the other thing that you said is uh, the system that it's that is that is growing coach or, or is educating coach at this point. I don't, I'm not, I'm not too familiar with the coaching courses in the UK. 
you are probably what we've discussed so far, listening, caring, um, connecting with, with, let's say your players or having a strategy or having a goal, uh, are, well, at least not the skills that have been taught to me when I was in the coach education. It's been a while. I don't know if it's changed recently, but that coach education was always, let's say auto autocratic. So you are the boss, you tell them what you want, you demand, and that's the way that you can stay up in the dressing room, or that's the way that you can accomplish something. Everything you are saying is, well, it's not the opposite, but it's very far away from what I just said. Coaches, sorry for the interruption. Besides the coaches room, I run another company called Football Tours. This is a full service touring company and we organize pre-season and winter training camps for professional football teams. We do this for both senior and youth teams and we take care of everything. Hotel, training accommodation, friendly matches, whatever you need. We give youth teams the opportunity to train at the best youth academies of the Netherlands. Academies like PSV, Feyenoord, AZ Alkmaar and the KNVB, you can train there with your team. So, if you are a professional coach, you need to organize your training camp. Or, if you have a youth team and you want to train at the best facilities in the best academies of the Netherlands, go to footballtours.com. And now pay attention, tours is with a Z. So, footballtourswithaz.com. What's your vision on, on coach education? You've just answered the question yourself. Therefore, that isn't learning, is it? You know, um, how does the saying go? Um, tell, tell a player they will forget. Um, show a player they will remember and involve a player they will understand. So, I, uh, I mean, we could talk for hours on this. The next thing about about pro football is... I'm going to just start with this quote. Just because you taught it doesn't mean to say the players learnt it. And in schools, we have policies called teaching and learning policies. How the two become congruent and aligned. In football, we just call it coaching. And I'm like, where's this learning bit then? Who's, who's validating the learning? And managers come in and go, Steve... We've bloody lost 3 0 again. I've coached them that. We did that on Friday and I've gone, well, we did, but they obviously haven't learned anything, have they? Like, you know, not in a rude way, Arend. Doing set pieces on a Friday for 10 minutes, you know, expecting them to suddenly magic up that behavioural change to score ahead or defend ahead, that's just bizarre, isn't it? We're just going to do set pieces at 12 o'clock on a Friday and then magic that up on a Saturday. Like, what? Yeah. You know, that's just not learning, is it? So unless people understand fundamentally the importance of learning, 
you know, in a very, very deep way about assessment, summative assessment and formative assessment. You know, and we've got lots of summative assessment now with data analytics, which is great because it brings a more objective um, process to learning, which is needed. You know, we don't get flippant comments like, they didn't run very hard today. Well, have you checked the data yet? You know, you know, so let's, cause, because our eyes can lie to us. So going back to, you know, I'm speaking to a New York um, recruitment company this afternoon, and I'm talking about, about your sensory system now, and that can lie to us. Your eyes lie, your ears lie. Like, be careful what we think, you know, generally people hear what they listen for and, and see what they look for. So, like, come on, let's just be sophisticated and measured and sensible about how we develop players, you know? Of course we need emotion. That's standard, but let's just be objective about learning. Clear. Based on, let's say, this, uh, now I turn it around. So this this is uh, gives clarity about the role of the coaching. Now you're working as a coach and you have a board. Once in a while, they go down to the dressing room, however you want to call it. Then you have some fans. can keep pressure on any situation as well. If you look, if I hear your story, no, if your story, if you, uh, what you said, um, we should judge, or in the ideal world, uh, we should look at coaching. What are they doing with the players? How are they improving? Do they genuinely care? Uh, let's say those are all elements, not all, but elements of being a good coach. But the way coaches are now judged is purely, okay, what's the winning streak or what's the losing streak? There's You haven't won a game in three, four months. Okay, then we at least in the press say that we have full confidence, confidence, which means we are looking for a replacement. <laughs> um, and then you're stuck. So there's, let's say, the coaching in the back rooms and on the pitch. And then there's the opposite in which way, in the way you are judged based on results. Now, the, the holy grail would be how could you judge a coach without losing the the game, let's say, inside, but still, no, I'm, I'm saying the question wrong. How should we judge a coach? That may be the best way. Well, how we should or how the media should, they're two different questions. Yeah, I think, I think um, clubs, clubs are doing appalling, um, appalling job uh, and I really mean this from the bottom of my heart. Like they're doing an appalling job about educating the supporters. An appalling job. They should be getting fans in every week as as process. Hundred fans a week. Put a ticket. Get a ballot. Hello, supporters. How you doing? This is us. This is what we're trying to achieve. But they don't. They close their doors, and it's us and them. And wow, you know. We have a unique opportunity with this thing called social media to genuinely educate supporters. And all clubs are bothered about is posting 
I just think some really poor stuff on social media. Oh, we won again, we won again. Oh, no, 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 no. Let's educate. Let's use the word education. To ed- I'm obsessed with education. But educate the whole planet on what we're trying to do and why we're trying to do it. But it's just not happening. And, and we've got a unique ability to really, you know, because what education does, Orange, let's say a club put out education of what the players do Monday to Friday. We could look at psychology sessions. We could show snippets of that without giving too much away. Fitness, nutrition. We could show the players going to hospitals and doing this and more interviews about who they really are and what their why is and talk about their family and saying all of the things that need to be said about the real them, not the football them, the real them. And then this word called education then gives people a choice about how they behave. We're not really educating supporters. We're just giving them what they want to hear, which is, again, really sad. Honestly, I find it really sad. So going back to your question, how can a manager... A manager... um, uh, People say to me, how do you measure your work? I, I, I say, ask the players. Don't. I don't need any data analytics. You know, my, my work, my agents calling me, Steve, can you help my player? Yeah, no problem. I ask the players, ask the agents, ask my, ask my colleagues. Um, in a school, obviously, we would have student feedback, teacher feedback, parent feedback, um, you know, community feedback. We'd have loads of, loads of analytics. But right now, you know, I'm a bit bored of analytics, so I'm just... Gonna keep doing my journey and try and and try and educate people with with formative assessment, you know, with information rather than just you measuring what I'm doing all the time. Well, I think that the most refreshing answer I've ever heard uh, is that the only way that you can have the outside world judging the real situation is by giving them the real situation, which is not going on at any club at the moment. Yeah, you could say, yeah, there are some clubs that have a camera in the dressing room and then you see the cool team talks, but you only see the successful moments. You don't see the player crying because his baby's sick or whatever, I don't know. But this is the gap between what people see, because now people are presented with robots. The robots should perform because we pay them X amount of money and that's it, stop whining. Even with youth players, you are a talented youth player. I don't care if you're busy with school whatever, just perform. And the way that you just showed it, it'd be very cool to see the first club properly doing this and also see what the effect would be of the audience, the media, the world, literally everybody that would watch. Yeah. So, and, and you know, sorry to interrupt you, mate. Um, are you familiar with the, with the term post-truth? No. Incredible, right? Got word of the year in 2019. Now, post-truth means, um, it sort of means where objective facts in the modern world, so actual facts are less influential in shaping public opinion because that appeals to emotion and people's belief systems. So post-truth is like this phenomenon where like emotions and people's beliefs think things are true and I don't know because I'm an educationist at heart and, and linking to money. The great thing about my life is I never earn any money. 
So when you don't earn any money as a school teacher, you don't live for this thing called money, right? Not bothered. Okay, never been never been bothered about money. So brilliant way to live because I don't need money. You know what I mean? Never had any. So post truth is just this mad emotion, opinion led behavior. And this goes back to education. I'm really worried about the future, you know. But social media is getting worse and worse and worse. There are people out there that are genuine narcissists, are genuine sociopaths, and they are in football changing rooms. They are CEOs. They are running governments. We need to do education on these people that are, that are harming society and harming players' lives. You know, the reason players get so upset, Arend, and people say, oh, players are greedy. Do you know why players are greedy? It's because no one gives a shit about them. Yeah. Right? So these players, no, no, here we go. No child is a bad child, fact. Right? The environment makes them bad, 100%. These children then get into adulthood, and then they're institutionalised by this thing called football, where no one truly cares the CEOs, not in a rude way, they don't truly care. CEOs are just worried about profit and loss. You know, it takes a very unique CEO to genuinely care about those people. Now, of course, there's loads of CEOs that do, but we also know that there's loads that don't. Yeah. So, depressing. It's very sad. Yeah, It well, it, I think it's very good that you're pushing on it because it's confronting... My thoughts, and I think everybody's thoughts is listening to this. So I'm happy that you're doing it. Completely out of context, but I want to ask you something else because I, <laughs> I prepared one thing that I was thought was very important for coaches to know. Um, it's literally out of context. Maybe there's some connection there, but I, I read about well when I prepared. You were talking about some terms that I thought was are definitely worth mentioning. One of them is the golem effect. Can you please share what that is? Because I think everybody's guilty of this. Well, I'll tell you what, you're now putting me under pressure for me saying what I do and doing what I say, aren't you? Lucky, lucky I know what it means. Yeah. Okay. So the golem effect is the opposite of the Pygmalion effect. So the golem effect is a decrease uh, of teacher-coach expectations leads to a decrease in performance. So let me explain. Uh, we're playing on Saturday. We've got seven players out. We need those seven players to win. We're never going to win. Um, and then obviously you decrease and then you get beat 3-0 because it's a self-fulfilling pro pro prophecy. The golem effect in an educational setting is, oh, these kids are bottom set. They're going to fail anyway. No, 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 no. Right, that is not happening. So... In secondary schools, we've got something called meta-learning, right? Meta-learning means learning to learn. So instead of teaching about maths, we teach about how we learn about maths. Instead of teaching about science, it's how we learn about science. Instead of teaching about football, ready for this, how we learn about football, right? So I'm going to give you a, a sports science horror story. This is the golem effect. They've got all this data on their laptop, Data which could empower, inform the learners, i.e. the athletes. And I say to most strength and conditioning coaches, 
Why have you got all that data on your laptop, which you're not bringing to life? They say, ha yeah, players won't want to know anyway. <laughs> and I'm like, what? This is professional football. This is the problem. However, it might be the S&C that does want to bring it to life, but the manager says, nah, they don't need to know that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, there's, there's a perfect applied example of what I'm living with and thinking, this is just crazy. Okay, clear. Oh, sorry, there was an echo on him. But um, so the golem effect. Can I summarize it so you can eat his breakfast? Just yeah, it's 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 a decrease, uh, a, a lower a lower expectation on of the of the staff member, which leads to a decrease in performance. So the opposite is Pygmalion. The increased expectations, the aspiration, the growth means to an increase in performance. So basic behavioral psychology, really. Yeah. But what I was thinking when I heard this term is everybody. You were saying it as well the beginning, but everybody has this player that is hard to deal with. Probably he will become more hard to deal with once while you keep thinking that he's hard to deal with. So uh, it becomes like it, if somebody says to you, yeah, he's hard to deal with, it's already the start of a golem effect because it's already imprinted in your head. He's probably hard to deal with. So probably always yeah, ask. Yeah. yeah, go on. You go. No, probably... While I was saying it, I was also thinking, if you should properly watch and listen yourself, the goal effect wouldn't even be there in this specific Well, I well, listen, well done you, because that goes back to self-awareness and that goes back to knowledge base. Because if you're self-aware, then you know that you need to help them. If you have the knowledge, then you know you need to part of that knowledge. So I need to share this story. When I went into my first professional club, one of the coaches said, Salis, we need your help. And what I noticed was there's loads of coaches, again, with football knowledge, but not with mentoring knowledge. I can't, uh, in my book, I've got a chapter called Regis, aren't Regis, rounded with an edge. So we've got rounded players, good humans that need an edge, performance edge, football edge. We've got edgy players from the streets of, streets of London, Liverpool, Manchester that need to be rounded. And a lot of the coaches can handle the rounded players, but they can't handle the edgy players. And obviously in schools, the reason all the managers laugh at me because I want the hardest player that you have and I want them to give them to me because I know I can sort them out. Yeah. yeah. yeah I, you know? I, I love, completely love this because also we all also know which it is the hardest, but once you get, let's say, call him the, the, the edgy player, or the, once you have him, he will probably yeah. be the best player. You know, and he's the most fun to work with. <laughs> and, and yeah, I, I've been listening. And and there's one key word for these players, yeah, is love. True. True. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, we've already discussed a lot, Steve, and I have the feeling we can go on for hours. <laughs> but um, I won't do that. I'm going to leave the other questions or some, some things that I've looked up on, on you for, ne- for next time. Um <clears throat> I do have two questions left. Yep. Because I know it's a good presentation as well. How would you want to be remembered? Very, very simple. A good person. Done. Clear. <laughs> Who should we talk to? You? Oh, I've already got him set up for you, mate. I've done my, I've done my homework for you, yeah? So I saw on Saturday, obviously I work with Northampton Town now, 
and we played uh, Crawley on Saturday. And um, I saw my old friend Danny Cowley, um, who you'll be pleased to know. Um, so I spoke to Danny. Danny and I, believe it or not, Aaron, used to go to uni together, right? He was okay. three years younger than me at Greenwich Uni, yeah. So we played against each other in a school London Cup, no, in a National Cup fixture. He was based in Southend about an hour from London. I got on and they, they beat us an extra time. So you couldn't make it up, right? Here we go about the long game. 15 years ago, we're both school teachers, yeah? And now we're both from pro football. So from the same uni, cool. doesn't, get be- doesn't get better than that, does it? Danny Crowley, you know what I'm right? Cowley. Cowley. Yeah, former Huddersfield, Portsmouth, um, now manager. Um, well, he was at Portsmouth. He got, unfortunately, sacked him and his brother. But him and his brother have obviously done very, very well in the English system and, um, you know, ended up being professional football managers. So uh, he will give you some great insights of the first team changer room um, and his growth from semi-pro. Right, that, the reason I love, I'm excited for you to have him on is because, you know, he's been in semi-pro for 15 years and now he's in the Football League. Yeah, so he worked his way up the ranks. From nowhere. That's great. Yeah, that's great. What would you like to, what would you like me to ask him? Oh, um, well, yeah, similar things to me, really. It might be a really nice trade-off because he's worked in schools for the same time as me. So it'd be interesting to see. Yeah, I, I would suggest you ask him what methods in school have you used for first-team football management? Okay, I will do that. Because remember, he's a manager and I'm not, so yeah. Good. I will ask him that. Okay. You gave me a good assist on to the next episode, Steve. I think I, so. Yeah, football league manager. Great. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And I, well, going back to the to the way that we started in this conversation, I really enjoyed this. Loved it. I think, I think if you, if you take the time, there will be loads of nuggets in this, but I also would really recommend because when I did some research to you, you, you're not throwing, but you're, well, you're kind of throwing, you throw out a lot of terms out there, which you should definitely write down and then look into it yourself. Otherwise it just goes too fast. So that would be like my end recommendation. Uh, for the listeners so uh, or look maybe back into other podcasts that you did or your book or whatever because um uh there's much more than this hour because like you said yeah above me there are 70 books which my story is kind of based on or based on which is part of this is based on there's much more and it's all based on theory book whatever so really go into the theories behind it the methods behind it and just maybe dig into you a little bit because then you probably can have an idea of what's behind it. That's maybe my main conclusion. Well, and also, just, just so we're clear on how I work, that if your listeners are willing to listen to me for an hour and for you for an hour, the least I can do is give them thanks and value for money. It's obviously not money, it's pretend. But give them value with chucking out a hundred things rather than talking about generic stuff and say, look, come on. I thank you for listening and you deserve to learn about these things because you've gone from start, the middle and the end. So well done to you. Um, And I mean this sincerely. Thank you so much for your time. This is the start of a friendship, I'm sure. And um, yeah, the the good thing is Danny Cowley's already agreed to it, mate. So I'll I'll forward you on his number. Yeah, he he agreed last night. So I'll forward you on his number later. Thanks. Thanks. (laughs) 
Steve again, thank you very much. There's the echo again. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, likewise. Thanks, bud. Yeah, bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to this episode of Inside the Coach's Room. Make sure to subscribe or rate us in your favorite podcast player or share this episode on your social media and we will make sure that you will get access to the best webinar that's available on our website. And if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. I would be happy to connect.